Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 208. My name is Douglas Wilson. I'm very grateful that you decided to join us. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about active, active duty military service and the mandated vaccine. Here's the situation. There are two elements. One's the practical element and the other is the, uh, the issue of conscience. Let's start with the practical side first. When Alexander the Great headed east to conquer the world, he he got as far as india and um and he wanted to keep going so alexander the great was uh, on a roll he conquered the you know conquered the whole middle east and he <laughs> he made it all the way to india and he probably wouldn't have stopped if it had been up to him wouldn't have stopped until he uh, had conquered japan but his soldiers had had quite enough so when when he got to India and he said, let's keep going, men, let's, uh, let's conquer more, uh, his soldiers said, uh, that's all right, we're all done now. And so, consequently, even someone so great as and so charismatic as Alexander the Great had to follow his troops. For all sorts of situations, he was able to lead the troops, but you get to a certain point where the last straw breaks the camel's back and, the, and they're just not going to do it. And so that means the one in authority must give way, say, all right, do it. We're not going to do what I said we're going to do. Or he has to step aside or be removed. Our current president is nowhere near as charismatic as uh, Alexander the Great. And yet he's issuing mandates, uh, vaccine mandates. He's uh, any uh, employer, any employer who employs over 100 people has to uh, have them all vaccinated uh, as a matter of public policy, et cetera. <laughs> and you realize, of course, that an employer with 110 employees with 25 of them vaccinated could um, just lay off the vaccinated workers and, uh, and then find himself not having to comply uh, with the, this diktat, this command. Well, that's all very, that's, it's easy for us to see the despotism involved when uh, the president just up and claims an authority over a manufacturer of widgets in Oregon or a software coding company in Utah, and he says that you've got to do this. Everybody can see the overreach. But what about the military? Soldiers and sailors are our federal employees. They signed up, and of course, anybody who's been in the military knows that they know how to run you through uh, medical procedures like you were so many cows in a meat processing plant. (laughs) They can just, uh, you know, you've been vaccinated all sorts of ways and you've been processed all sorts of ways. So why is this, why is this any different? Well, here's, here's how it's different. This is happening. The, The mandate is being handed down to all military personnel, and it has also been handed down to our special operations uh, forces. SEALs, Rangers, people like that. And there, there are a significant number of these operators who are resisting taking the vaccine. And the issue here is not whether they could do that and get away with it. History, history shows us that mutinies can be successful. That was my point 
with regard to Alexander the Great. So everybody knows that if Biden says, hey, everybody in the armed services has to get the vaccine, if, uh, or you'll be dishonorably discharged, we, we all know that if 90% of the people said, no, we're not going to do it, it would not be done. It would not, hap- it would not happen. Uh, the president is the one who would have to back down, right? The question that Christians have is whether that is, uh, is that something that's consistent with the oath I took? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one that signed up. I'm the one that volunteered. I'm the one who's, who's here in the military. I can't treat my body as though it belongs to me in any absolute sense. Didn't I sign it over? Up to and including the possibility of death? Well, yes, you did. That's precisely what you did. But it's a covenant, and that means that there are stipulated terms and conditions. It do, it's not just, here I am, tell me what to do, and I will do absolutely anything you say. Let me give you, um, let me give you a couple of examples of this and why this is so important. When you were sworn in as a member of the military, you took an oath. And that oath uh, said that you were going to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. All right, you, you took an oath. You didn't say, I take an oath and I will do absolutely anything you say. You took an oath that said, I will defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Well, this order, uh, this, this uh, tyrannical overreach that is being applied to American citizens across the board, is a, a tyrannical over. It's, a, a, it's an assault on the Constitution. It is an enemy of the Constitution. And men in the military uh, have taken an oath to defend the Constitution against just such a practice. And then here's an, another argument coming in, a lesser argument that would support this. When I, was, uh, when I was in the Navy, I was in the submarine service, and they didn't supply much reading material for you in the head, in the lavatory. Uh, but they, they, did, they did have a poster on the inside of every bathroom stall. And this poster covered a big chunk of the, um, of the, st- of the stall door. And it, were, it was made up of excerpts from the uni- Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ. And if my memory serves, in the lower left-hand corner of this poster, it had the section that described the conditions under which we were required to disobey an unlawful order. We had to. It, um, it was the, the Uniform Code of Mili- Military Justice says that if an unlawful order is given, you must disobey it. Now, when someone gives you an unlawful order, the person giving the order is frequently going to be of the conviction that it's not an unlawful order. But if you're convinced in your conscience that it is an unlawful order, and that what is being mandated and what's being done to Americans generally is an insult to the Constitution, then you have an obligation as a member of the military to resist, and to resist in any reasonable way possible. So we're continuing with our podcast, episode 208, and this section is our Hamartiology 101 section. In our study of sin, we've come now to Ethelothrescea. Isn't that a good one? Ethelothrescea, one, all one word. This word is rendered as will worship by the KJV, 
and it's quite an, and it presents quite an interesting issue. Here it is in Colossians 2:22 and 23, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship, there you go, in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So Paul is talking about those religio fussers who like to prohibit things, who like to say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. It all seems very pious, very earnest, very devout. But the scriptural response is striking. It is as though God in heaven says something like, who asked you to give those things up? There's something in the divine wisdom that has a real distaste for Lenten shenanigans, Lenten monkey shines. Will worship is when someone comes up with some act of piety and devotion, some act of piety and devotion that God never commanded, never required, never contemplated, and then that person offers it up to God as a sign of his true devotion. As well walk into the Holy of Holies and offer to do a hundred push-ups or, or jumping jacks. <laughs> God looks down on this, this priest in the Holy of Holies doing jumping jacks or push-ups and he could say, who asked you to do that? Who told you that I wanted that kind of thing offered to me? That would be will worship. If we want to avoid will worship, we need to adopt some form of the great Protestant regulative principle. Now, uh, the way I would frame this principle, I'm, I'm following uh, a formulation by the theologian Hughes Oliphant Old, where he taught, worship must be according to Scripture. Worship must be according to Scripture. When someone comes to your church and they ask about some element of the service, you should be able to explain from the Bible why you do that. Uh, now, some strict regulativists say that worship, uh, whatever is not expressly commanded, is thereby forbidden. And, but when you formulate it that way, you, you run yourself into difficulties. Uh, you can't have a piano because... The Bible never mentions pianos. Or you can't give women the Lord's Supper because the Bible never has an example of women taking the Lord's Supper. You can't worship on Sunday because you don't ever have an express commandment to worship on Sunday and so on. So I think a, the strict regulative principle proves too much, but every Protestant has to be a regulativist of some sort. Worship must be according to Scripture. We do not get to cook up our, idea, our, our ideas and call them a sacred tradition. We do not have the authority to determine what God wants to receive in worship. God decides what he wants to receive. To arrogate that authority to ourselves is rejected by Paul as will worship. And he grants that it might look good, but he says it has no value in checking fleshly indulgence at the end of the day. And the reason it doesn't have any ability to check fleshly indulgence is ultimately because it is a fleshly indulgence. So, uh, we are um, still in podcast episode 208, and this is my uh, book review section. I was shown a book by uh, one of my fellow pastors at Christ Church who, um, who showed me the book, uh, The Proverbs of Middle Earth, by a gent named Rao, R-O-W-E, or Roe. Row or row. So this book, The Proverbs of Middle-Earth, is just really a fine piece of work. I, and I, I have to begin categorizing the nature of my devotion to things Tolkien, all things Tolkien. I've, I've taught courses on 
Tolkien. I've read The Hobbit multiple times. I've read The Lord of the Rings multiple times. Just finished it again recently, actually. And I expect that I'm going to be reading The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings periodically for the rest of my life. A devoted reader. I'm, I'm going to return to Middle-earth again and again. That said, I've read The Cimmerillion once, and that was quite enough. <laughs> I, uh, I, it was very interesting. The backdrop was interesting. But I'm not going to read The Cimmerillion uh, again. And I, I bring this up because I wanted to contrast, I wanted to first contrast uh, two different levels of uh, devotion to Tolkien. And this happens when, when I teach a class on Tolkien. The nature of the case is such that there will be people in my class who know way more details about the history of Middle-earth. They've memorized the Cimmerillion, it seems. And they know the genealogies and the backstory and everything. They know uh, as much about it as, as Tolkien himself did, and I, I don't. So I, I really love the books. I love what that backstory was able, I love what it enabled Tolkien to do, but my devotion is simply to those main stories as main stories. Now, I bring this up because Roe, who wrote this book, The Proverbs of Middle-earth, very clearly has uh, the next level up. He's, his level of mastery of um, Tolkien's work is the next level up. He, he really knows that world. And you can see the fruitfulness of it. What he does here is he, he goes through and pulls out all the Proverbs that are spoken in uh, Middle-earth, and he places them in, in their context. So, uh, and then at the end, uh, at the end of the book, they're all just with no discussion, the Proverbs are just listed according to the categories that he uh, established. And those categories are, here are all the Hobbit Proverbs, the kind of, the kind of Proverbs that Sam's father, the gaffer, would uh, say, good, sturdy, down-to-earth Hobbit Proverbs, and then Elven Proverbs, and then the dwarves don't have very many Proverbs, but they have some. Uh, the Proverbs of men he goes through and breaks out and, and analyzes the nature of the Proverbs, where, where they come from, how they fit into the history, and why, they're, why that proverb in this mouth fits, right? It really is a, um, really, really was a, a, a fruitful book, a very good book. Um, I think my favorite proverb was one that Aragorn spoke. And you'll probably, those of you who follow our ministry will probably hear me Say it many times after this, and that's from, from Aragorn. Men are better than gates. Men are better than gates. So get the Proverbs of Middle-earth if you like that kind of thing, as I think you should. This episode has been brought to you by New St. Andrews College. Tyrants know education is warfare, and so should we. If you want your student armed for battle and equipped to fight tyranny, apply at nsa.edu fall 2022. That's nsa.edu slash fall 2022.